Hello friends, welcome to the Resonance Test. I'm your host, Allison Coden, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Like many colleagues in the innovation design space, when people ask me about my professional history, I tend to say something like, well, it's complicated, usually accompanied by a little left-right-left left hand gesture to signify a twisting path. Growing up Gen X, I've seen the concept of good work shift from a 60-hour-per-week job that you keep for 40 years to something both more nebulous and more personal. Everything in the world right now, from the pandemic to hard questions around diversity and inclusion, is pushing us towards introspection around what really matters when it comes to the work we do, and more importantly, the life we want to live. Moving from one career stop to the next is about putting food on the table, but could it also be about the other things work can give us when it's done right? New skills, new perspectives, new communities, and ways to make an impact that change as we grow and evolve as people. Kevin Bethune, author of Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation, and founder and chief creative officer of Dreams Design and Life, thinks the answer to that question is a definite yes. As he tells our Ken Gordon, diversity of identity, experience, and perspective are crucial to innovative work in any context. But with access to education and mentorship, that diversity can live within individual people as well. Rather than seeing work as a long, slow, settling into a crude experience, Bethune offers a serpentine path of risk-taking, learning, and change. Tune in to hear about how the future of work can help us humans develop and apply our ethics and life philosophy to problem-solving across a polymath's paradise of subject areas, rather than being molded to the corporate needs of a singular workplace. Kevin, I'm so glad to have you uh, here today at the Residence Test. Thank you for uh, coming to chat with us. No, no, appreciate you having me. Thanks for the invitation. Cool. Let's jump right into it. Your book, which is called Reimagining Design, is a really interesting uh, mix of narratives. There's You've got the professional autobiography, a kind of argument for inclusion, a little philosophy of multidisciplinary design teams, and, 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 and sort of a career guide. I have to ask you, how did you hit on this particular hybrid structure for your first book? <laughs> it definitely was a, a learning journey going through the book writing process. Uh, but and, and honestly, I think based on recent uh, experiences, having to stand up design and innovation capabilities, especially in spaces that didn't necessarily uh, fully comprehend the power that creativity could afford them. Um, you know, the, the book could have easily been another set of frameworks, or, you know, adding to existing design thinking canon or another book on the intersections between design and business. But during the writing process, you know, the, the, the pandemic became a raging <laughs> Uh, phenomenon in, in, in the compounding pandemics, I would say as well, uh, from you know COVID to social justice to climate change, all these things were happening at the same time during the writing year of 2020, and I couldn't help but just reflect on like what has happened to me personally and my family, and and the mixture of personal and professional lived experiences came kind of screaming to the forefront more than I realized and. I definitely have to give credit to the publishing team who was very encouraging to just allow me to go there and not be afraid of, of sort of tapping into the personal. Yeah, no, I, I love the, uh, the personal element to it. I feel like it's so unusual for um, design books, at least certainly for like books from the MIT press to be put out where someone's recounting just basically given their career as a sort of arc of the, uh, the book. And I think it's super useful. There's there's so much of, of uh, our industry that just is invisible to people. And I mm -hmm. feel like, you know, just just having this story out will maybe um, uh, create a kind of subgenre for, for these kinds of narratives. Because I think it's really important. Oh, thank you. Cool. So it's obvious 
to to you and 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 to me that like diversity of thought, uh, diversity of team composition, of points of view is good for design, is good for innovation, is good for business. It's even good for democracy. Uh, you name it. You write. Imagine if our future teams were just as representative as the beautiful tapestry of people making up this world. But business and design culture being what they are right now, still kind of have a long way to go. And I was wondering, uh, in your opinion, is there any org in 2022 that's doing a good job of creating, you know, these truly um, diverse teams that you and I both know we, we need? Yeah, I know. I think you're right. Uh, net, net, when we take a step back, I think the business community at large has a long way to go. Um, and what what materializes for me are sort of two ends of the spectrum uh, where on one end, unfortunately, I think we see some companies sort of articulating this mission of just staying, staying true to their mission and not like allowing any entertaining of like what they call political discourse within their walls. Yeah. And at the same time, I think it's unfortunate because you're not, you're basically telling your folks regardless of whoever was working for you that they can't bring their full humanity to work. You know, and I think that's 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 a gross sort of misstep uh, for organizations moving forward. And the other end of the spectrum, you have companies that are being bold to call things as they see them, and, and they recognize that you know they they themselves aren't there; they haven't arrived. But at least they're recognizing that they re- they recognize the situation, what's actually affecting their employees, and they they want to have conversations that lead to strategy and bold moves. And, and I think of like the Warby Parkers, I think of the Ben and Jerry's who are being very sort of transparent around what they, what they want to do about the social ills that affect their constituents and their, the demographics that they serve, but also their own employees. Yeah, no, I dig that. And I, I think you're right. And I, and I wonder um, about sort of representation in the, in the design world specifically, because you talk about this sort of very, very limited represented for representation for black and brown people, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what is, do you find there any sort of design organizations that are, that are good with this or, or any people who are really sort of making a difference here? You know, unfortunately as a field, you know, we're, we're definitely woefully behind um, in terms of that representation and, and you feel it like in, in the nature of the work that comes across the desk, the, the, the mismatches are apparent. And when you look at the composition of design and innovation organizations, um, not where it needs to be, but uh, in terms of exemplars that are per- perhaps leading the charge, uh, you know, I, I look to I look to inclusive uh, teams that I, I, I find, you know, Twitter on a, on, on, on a given day. Now, maybe recent <laughs> with recent news, you know, there's a huge question mark of what will become of the organization. But no kidding. I think their design and innovation ranks have definitely been enriched by uh, the leadership of. Uh, folks like uh, Dantley when he was there and, and, and other um, incredible design leaders. So I, I've, I've been pleased to see the transformation of their, their ranks. Um, and there's probably others that come to mind, but, you know, again, long way to go. I, pre- I appreciate you, you, you um, giving credit to the people who deserve it. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the pandemic and cause you know, that's hit all of us and, 
I was thinking about sort of how the pandemic affected the way you are actually doing collaboration. Like our organization, EPAM, has been work, been like a distributed workforce for decades. Mm-hmm. So working with all different kinds of people over different time zones and, and online, that kind of thing, it's very standard rhythm for us. And I know a lot of people had to change a lot of things they were doing. And I'm wondering how it affected sort of you and your team and the clients you were working with and sort of uh, what, what you learned coming through covid um, just from just from how to really collaborate at a distance. Yeah, no, I, I definitely um, I, I, I what you describe about EPAM mirrors you know my experiences when I was leading design within BCG Digital Ventures, mm-hmm. um, and the nature of like while while BCG was very much an in person culture, we'd get on airplanes like at the drop of a hat to visit our client partners, but sometimes teams needed to be distributed across multiple locations at the same time, so. Yeah. We, we had to figure out what remote collaboration meant in that respect. And then recently with me starting Dreams Design and Life at the early part of 2018, by the, by the time the pandemic arrived, I was already two years into like learning how to manage my business and the remote collaborators that right. were part of every client engagement. Um, you know, we, we were already having to figure out uh, what it meant to, foster virtual collaboration on platforms like Miro or, or Morel, yeah. um, as well as leveraging Slack emails and shared drives and all these things. So like you, you, you almost have that attitude that you almost have to have an attitude that there, there will be a way we'll figure out a way to make sure that we're still fostering the right type of creative collaboration that's necessary for the work. And going through the throes of the, going through the throes of the pandemic, obviously that was pressure tested, but, um, what was, what was very interesting to sort of see was that I think the pandemic through the isolation that we all experienced, I think the relationships that I had with, in particular, my client partner stakeholders got a lot more intimate. It got a lot more sort of focused because aside from the virtual collaboration we were doing on those platforms, I think the, 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 the notion of a one-on-one phone call or a one-on-one Zoom got a lot more uh, intimate, and I think a lot of the the, the, the boundaries that were there uh, sort of dissolved because I think there was a greater sense of empathy and compassion about what we were all what we were all dealing with. And mm-hmm. with a lot of my relationships, it, it went beyond just the design and innovation briefs. It went into like, oh, like help me understand like my organization and you know leadership and culture and diversity, equity, and inclusion and on top of the design innovation problems yeah. that we were trying to solve. It's interesting you mentioned the sort of the dissolving and boundaries. One of the things we found out was that because we couldn't get into people's homes or have them come to us to do sort of um, ethnographic research, we wound up doing things like we would email, uh, mail prototypes, physical prototypes to people, and then do sort of live unboxing videos and see people o- opening things up and using them in the context in their own home, right? Love it. Love and so it. we were able to not only do that, but we spread out in terms of time, uh, time and space because you can do that from anywhere with anybody. And you could bring all kinds of clients into uh, the conversation and let them see for themselves with their own eyes what people were doing with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it created a whole different sort of uh, gestalt for doing uh, research. And it was, you know, we ha- obviously hadn't planned on doing this, but it was a real benefit. And it really opened up our eyes to different kinds of possibilities that, that weren't there before. I love that. Love it. It's cool. Okay, let's so so let's 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 rewind a little bit back from our pandemic present to your first semester as an engineer at Notre Dame. 
<laughs> right? You, you know what I'm talking about here. You hit that rough patch for your first semester with your grades, and your advisor all of a sudden tried to counsel you out of being an engineer. And you, <laughs> you wrote, I was tremendously insulted by his suggestion to simply give up. Why should I throw in the towel? I told myself in that moment, I will figure this out. And, and I realized that's a theme for you, giving yourself that, that design brief, figure this out. Was it was it was both a sort of brave and necessary thing to do, but it's something you seem like you've been doing your whole career. And can you talk about that theme of, of choosing to figure out despite whatever opposition uh, you're coming up against? Because I think that's really important to get at. Yeah, it's almost like a two sided coin, uh, and and it's almost like how how do you balance the the external versus the intrinsic internal motivation that you have? Yeah, um, you know, I think I think that first set of midterm, you know, tests or whatever, those, those initial challenges I faced, you know, I, I definitely was someone that perhaps the engineering department or even the freshman advisor who I mentioned in the book sort of looked at me and, and that person didn't necessarily see me playing in that arena. And, oh, you know, he, look, at, look at your challenges. Of course, this is not right for you. Go do something else. Go into liberal arts, go into some other, go into business and no, no, no disrespect to those fields, but I was curious about engineering for yeah. all the right reasons. But this person didn't necessarily see me playing there. And at the first sign of challenge, oh, okay, you know, it's not for you. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, my, my, you know, from coming from where I come from, family story, origin story, all these things, no stranger to resistance. And if someone basically externally says, I don't see it, well, wait a minute. There's a there's an intrinsic motivation around a a, a valid curiosity, mm-hmm. and I want to see myself in that arena, and I will do what it takes to to figure it out. So that theme has been persistent through the career. There's always been uh, resistors, yeah. Uh, and I can I, and I can handle. Uh, I think anyone should handle someone giving honest, constructive critique, mm-hmm. and and basically holding up a mirror that compares your work with the clear success criteria of what it takes to move forward. Like I could handle that all day, but when it becomes this like weird subjective conversation where you're not clear, you're not being honest about what the bar success is and how, you know, you, you would invite new voices to come in and help you like achieve that bar, of course, but also take diverse learnings to help elevate that bar. That, that, That when those conversations aren't happening, that's when it becomes weird and you're forcing me to sort of unpack, like, what does this resistance mean? And I think, unfortunately, there's too many people being unfairly exposed to harmful, extrinsic sort of um, doses of subjective feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that. And I feel like, you know, another theme and to sort of build on this from your book is, is stretching and the mm. stretch project. You know, you seem to have uh, somehow intuitively understood that what you really need to do to move ahead, to evolve as a, as a professional, as a person, is to look for these places where you could really stretch. And I, I think that's a really good lesson for anybody who's in any kind of career, but particularly in the design world and sort of understanding that wherever you are right now is is not shouldn't be seen as your final destination. And the way you move forward to that destination is by stretching. And so could you just talk a little bit about that idea of what stretching means to you and how that has worked for you in your career? Yeah. And, and this is one where I think folks need to be careful because 
you could easily take on too much and not realize that you might be putting yourself in an exploitive position. Yes. <laughs> or, or, you know, an unsustainable position where you, you know, you're not taking care of yourself and your health yeah. like that. We have to watch for that. But, but I think at least in my own experience, when, you know, I might have, I may have been wearing a, a title in my day job, but clearly there was curiosities brewing around like how to, connect the dots to understand the bigger picture. And maybe it took meeting someone in a different department. And, you know, eventually those like networking chats turn into invitations to actually help other departments. And there may have been times where, you know, the the day job may have said, uh, you know, we've kind of actually frown on you doing that because you're, you're representing us over there. And people are asking like, what is this department doing over there? Yeah. You know, and, and be, while being respectful to the charters, sometimes like we have to recognize that, you know, maybe there's we have the ability to create our own time and represent just ourselves. And like, hey, I'm I'm not Kevin, the, the business planner. I'm Kevin, a creatively curious person that wants to understand what you're doing over here. And yeah. on my personal time, whether it's lunch hour, early mornings or nights or weekends, can I like ex- go on an exploration with you? Can I help you out on your project? Can we set up some milestones and can I show you what I'm capable of and you can give me feedback and we can get, get more work done if we leverage our forces together like that. Those conversations sort of naturally became part of the, the strategy, I guess, of, of navigating and making some very unconventional transitions, especially in organizations that didn't expect people to, to make those kind of transitions but the stretch assignments were sort of breeding grounds to learn, to try, to experiment. And then over time, you start holding up evidence where you convince those, those organizations that you're tapping into, you convince them that you're passionate enough and you, you have the potential because the evidence speaks to that potential. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself interviewing for that next job. So I'm a big believer that careers are made um, by really leaning into your curiosity and, and those experiments. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it really is a sense of, you know, giving people almost permission to look around and see what looks interesting to them mm-hmm. and then follow and follow those people who are doing those interesting things and see how they how they do it and see if maybe they want to join that particular uh, that sort of group. I mean, one of the things I dig about your story is that whenever you hit like a professional inflection point, one of the things you seem to say is like, OK, now I have to go and get some more education. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and and, and it, it really is is good because you you hit a point where you said I need to know more about business language, language of business. I need my MBA, and there's the time came. You said I really I really got to get my design chops together, and I, and you go to Art Center, you know, and I feel like understanding that um a, a leap has to be preceded by a new round of education seems to be at least the theme of your story, but it seems like pretty good advice for, for anybody who's trying to think of their lifetime um, in a career. And I just wonder sort of how conscious were you uh, now that you're looking back at all yeah. this stuff, it seems obvious, but were you, I, I mean, how much of that was sort of in your, your, your plan when you were 22 years old? Oh, I, I'd be lying if I said it was part of any plan, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But what, hindsight does sort of show me is that the, the power of curiosity is real. And as, as you lean into those networking conversations, coffee chats lead to stretch assignments, stretch assignments leads to some, you know, early wins that you can hold up, you know, that evidence, it, it, it typically leads you to a fork in the road yeah. where you say, 
okay, I got a critical career decision here. And it, it's almost like this is a moment that I really need to take ownership. I can't, I can't trust my employer. And maybe, maybe it was Nike at the time. I can't trust my career to how they see me. Yeah. And, you know, the trail of evidence and experimentation and curiosity shows me like there, this fork of the road is real. I need to make a decision for my career. And if, and for someone like I, I would recommend that they don't necessarily just try to repeat what I did because right. <laughs> the evidence might not like stack up to lead them to the same decision. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I could have, if the evidence stacked up to where I, I, I could have stayed at Nike to continue to round out my creative foundation, you know, for someone else, that might be the right answer for them to do that. But for me, and based on the way the world was moving and the, based on the timing of everything, I, I benefited from an acceleration of two more years of full-time grad school. And yes, it was freaking scary to step away from the workforce for two years with, you know, young family and all these like, pressures. It was a, it was a huge daunting uh, gamble to step away from being gainfully employed for two years, you know, okay. and, and invest yeah. in the cost of it. So I don't recommend that someone follow my steps explicitly because again, their evidence might stack up in a different way and point them in a different direction. And that's fine too. Yeah, no, I get it. And I, I feel like even saying that to sort of the young professionals saying your curiosity will lead you to the fork, to many mm-hmm. forks. And the trick is knowing uh, when you're there and, and to, to take the right path. Now you've had a pretty varied career, right? You worked on uh, nuclear generator generators at Westinghouse. You, you, you wound up designing shoes at Nike. You led digital design at BCG uh, Digital Ventures, and now you founded uh, Dreams Design and Life, the uh, think tank for design and innovation. Um, what would you say are the are the biggest benefits and drawbacks of having done so many things? Is it, it like when you look at that uh, the the balance sheet of all that stuff? What, what would you say is how, how do you read it right now? Yeah, you know I. I I have to take great care to control the narrative. And when I say control, I'm not, I'm not inferring manipulation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I authentically, and at this point I'm very privileged to have the license to be very honest with any, you know, client partner or maybe, you know, a future organization that I might work for the next season in my career. Like I'm not ruling anything out, but what I can say is that I will be authentic and honest and move with integrity based on the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. And in, in controlling that narrative, again, like detractors or resistors could look at my, my portfolio, my career and say, oh, he's, he's done so many things. He's not focused. I mean, people have said this to me already. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you could paint that. You, you, could, you could try to frame me as being hyper generalist in all things and, and not great at anything. You could, you could do that if you want, but when I unpack my evidence and I go, I walk you through the stories that it, it, that will refute the lie. And what I, what I am careful to say is moving forward because I've had these different and very rich experiences and I made very deep commitments in each of these zones of business technology mm-hmm. and design, mm-hmm. um, the portfolio and the, the, the storyline that I give speaks to this notion of breadth and depth because the future requires all of us to be more in, in more multidisciplinary settings, but still we, you know, the, the future requires us to also in that team room, know what our, what our deep strengths are, the depth, the, the depth of subject matter expertise, the depth of experience. 
that you can trust that I can leave the team room and, and do a concerted design investigation and bring back insight or bring back prototype or bring back uh, a notion of future scenarios that could inform the strategy. Like these are things that I can leave, leave the team room and do and bring substance back to help propel the team forward. Like my portfolio and the case studies and the work speaks to that breadth and depth where there is focus, there's clarity and mission based on the things that I've done. And if anything, it's made me more resilient and future proof Mm -hmm. as, as you know, we, and I'm including my client partner uh, stakeholders in this, the collective we is better because now we can move forward in these conversations with a greater sense of resilience, a greater sense of flexibility, a greater sense of future foresight than, you know, if I didn't have these experiences to offer uh, in the team room. So that's, that's sort of the, the clarity that I continually reinforce in every engagement in every story that I tell and anything that I write or speak about. Yeah, it's cool. You're, you're, you're clearly a T-shaped guy with a T-shaped career. And it's those who understand that why that matters, get it. I'm, you know, there's no yeah. question about it. So over my house, we just finished up Passover over here. And the Haggadah tells the story of liberation. And this theme was on my mind as I was reading your book in some ways. Reimagining design is about how you set yourself free from these various culture, these various corporate cultures to create ultimately your own firm. Do you feel in any way that your, your story is one of sort of a, a sort of success of liberation? Do you, do you feel that way when you look at where you are right now? Like you've been in so many different kind of very um, – uh, you know, idiosyncratic corporate cultures, a bunch of them. And now mm-hmm. you're your own, you're your own culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's a great question. And I honestly, I, I started to really feel it uh, when we were shaping uh, digital ventures inside of the greater BCG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, we, we were, uh, we were basically tasked with creating a very different inverted value prop compared to what, <laughs> BCG parent company was doing in their management consulting sort of business. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, we couldn't go find more people that fit the the BCG paradigm. We had to find, we had to find very different people that would really push us for the better. We, we, we had at least our early team had this humility to say, you know, we don't have all the answers. We need to be very open source in our approach and attracting new talent that can not just satisfy an unfortunate culture fit question, which is not the way, but the, what the future was requiring of us at that time was find different people that will push your pedagogy, push your, push your methodologies, make you better. And we, we scoured the earth. I'm very proud to say that we scoured the earth to find <laughs> the best, the brightest, the most different, the extreme. And, you know, as, as we scaled and, you know, multiplied our innovation footprint around the world, I can truly look back and say I'm very proud of the team that we built because they were, it were very diverse, very inclusive. Mm-hmm. No one was afraid to like raise their hand and express concerns or to raise their hand and show new evidence of how like maybe the success criteria that we had in mind has to change and elevate like, or that we need to pivot our approach for this you know demographic or this geography. Like all that was we had we had an open runway to try a lot of really cool things and. To, to your question around liberation, person, personalities that came into that picture, into that recipe, you know, we, we, we saw personalities that would have been 
you know, excluded or discounted or subjugated or rejected. We were creating runways that allowed those type of folks to thrive and make our value prop even more new and novel compared to, you know, other, other industry players in the space. Uh, and I'm very proud of that legacy that, you know, we created within BCG. And then, you know, with my, with my much smaller think tank compared to digital ventures, <laughs> you know, a very small company, but what's interesting is that through my client partner relationships, we have the empowerment to actually build and shape design and innovation capabilities within my client partners helping them hire, helping them find diverse talent that will really push them for the better and wiring the guiding principles that go into their design and innovation capability build. I I feel very fortunate that my client partners are giving us, my business, the trust to be able to help help shape that for them on top of the design and innovation work that we're doing. Very cool. Now, speaking of partners, you have some really interesting people in your network two of whom are John Maida and Hannah Nicole Jones. <laughs> these are your buddies and these are the people you hang with. What, what advice would you give to, to young people who are just starting out when they, when they start to think about networking? Um, how, do you, how do you find your way to such awesome people? And, and, and what, what's, what's the secret? You know, um, I mean, I think one, one strategy that I'm thankful for is just um, the strategy to like identify those luminaries before they're, Maybe you even have a relationship or have a chance to meet these people, but identifying some of your heroes that like feed your curiosity. And for the longest time, because I had been wrestling with these unique multidisciplinary leaps, I looked to polymaths that have been doing it <laughs> for a lot longer ahead of me. And Dr. John Maida was one that I've always watched at a distance, right? And I think it's also, you know, making sure that you're creating opportunities for yourself to intersect with those folks, not in a creepy way, but, but like, you know, investing in, again, investing in your career and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm busy with my job, but I'm going to, I'm going to invest a day or two to go to this conference. I'm going to clear some space to go do this or do that where folks like John Maida and your heroes are actually existing and how they're sort of forming community in those moments. So literally uh, I was at an MIT conference in the Bay area. John had just, given a talk and he casually walked off the stage as everyone was beelining to go find some lunch. And <laughs> it was one of those rare moments where he walked right in front of me and it was just being present, being putting myself out there to be able to have that serendipitous encounter with someone like John. And we've developed an incredible friendship and mentorship to this day. Um, you know, and, and so being open to like meeting different people, identifying those courageous pioneers, those edge dwellers, and leaning into the work that they're doing and finding inspiration. And then you're doing your own work. You start sharing your work and those people see it. And all of a sudden you're part of community. And so that's, that's what's been happening for me in my journey. Very cool. Very cool. And let's, let's, let's end this where we started and circle back to Twitter a little bit, because we were talking the other day on Twitter and I heard you say, or I heard, saw you write that you just signed a contract for book number two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're, you're and, uh, yes. And so I said, okay, let's, we're going to talk about this. What, what, what's next for you? What, what are we going to next read from you, Kevin? You know, it, it will be a while till book two is out. And, and all I can say is that, uh, you know, I, I don't anticipate writing, uh, a deliberate sequel to reimagining design, but I do want to spend more time showcasing like what, 
reimagined design looks like? Like if we truly empower the the design and innovation capabilities that I believe most organizations can actually invest in and stand up, if we actually are mindful to that, then I want to shine a light on perhaps particular projects or you know other exemplars. It doesn't have to be the work that I've been involved in, but just really shining a light on where empowered design has actually manifested and what new and novel ways. I mean, much like the case study you, you, you articulated in terms of EPAM and what you've done in, in the pandemic to ship prototypes and show out of the box. Like these are moments where if we, if we have empowered and reimagined design appropriately, like here's how you can investigate differently. Here's how you can ideate and prototype and test differently than what we think of design to be in this present incarnation. So that's, that, I want to spend more time going even deeper in those, in those veins. That sounds great. And let me know. I'll, I'll connect you with our people and we'll, we'll get them into chapter four of the book. I think that's great. <laughs> I like awesome. All right. This has been great. Thanks so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. All good. Thanks for the invitation. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist in the world. Kevin Bethune, it was a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you. Ken Gordon, our producer, was also behind the mic as our interviewer. Kip Palalas is our sound engineer. And I'm your host, Allison Coden. Until the next one, thank you. Thank you.